0: But this morning I want to start by giving honor to my good friend already gone on to glory brother James Roberts. And if you don't know him, you you missed an opportunity to know a great man sister Lana Roberts that sings up here so beautifully with the praise team and with the choir is his wife. And brother James was the youth pastor before me and he was also assistant pastor to brother Bruce as well before his untimely passing and he knew a great deal about being an airplane pilot and aviation in general and he once preached a message that has stuck with me ever since I heard it and I was only a teenager whenever he preached it but it it was the core impetus of this lesson today and it was what immediately God brought back whenever he laid this thought on my heart. But he preached with the title of Attitude Determines Altitude. That was, that was his title for that sermon. And in that sermon, he linked our outlook and our perspective on life, being like the engine and the flaps on a plane that determine what direction it's pointing, how high it goes, and how fast it can get there. And I'm not a pilot. I don't know that much about aviation, so I can't bring the details together as expertly as he did using those analogies. But this morning, God has put on my heart this thought, internal, external, and eternal. Internal, what is on the inside. External, what is on the outside. And eternal, what is of spirit and life everlasting. And it was back on May 7th in the first service that God began to lay this burden and this thought on my heart. Brother Chris was preaching on the danger of self-righteousness. And in that Sunday school lesson, he made this statement. Now, I wrote it down. I may not have it verbatim because I don't write as fast as I think or as I listen. So if you happen to have written this down and yours is slightly different, Forgive me if i am slightly misquoting him but the the core of what he said was this if we allow in things that affect us internally then it will eventually affect us externally and that's such a true statement in this day and age he also referenced luke chapter 17 and i want to refer back to that story as we begin this morning and we're going to read the story for for context because it may not be one that that you're familiar with and and i want to make sure you have the whole story so we're going to start in luke chapter 17 if you have your bibles and verse number 11. we're going to go through verse 19 and it says this and it came to pass as he went to jerusalem he being jesus he passed through the midst or the middle of samaria and galilee and as he entered into a certain village, we don't know which one, just a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to, unto the priests. Now, you've got to understand, in this society... There were no immunizations. There were no doctors like we have today. Leprosy was a death sentence, and leprosy is a highly contagious disease that is spread by skin-to-skin contact. Leprosy is a flesh-eating disease. People with leprosy, they lose their ears, they lose their fingers, their extremities, and it eats the flesh from the outside in. And it's a, it's a horrible disease. And so in society, whether it was Jewish society or other societies, lepers were ostracized. They were not allowed to be part of society. They had to be outside of the city. And if anybody were to give them anything, if anybody were to have compassion on them, they had to put something down and then back off because they didn't know how close you could get and not be infected. So... He tells them, go show yourselves unto the priest, which if you were healed, there was a process that you had to go through of sanctification with the priest and for the priest to verify, yes, you're healed of leprosy, you can reenter society again. And Jesus tells them, they just said, have mercy on us. And he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And it came to pass, continuing in the verse, that as they went, they did what he said, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And that's important, so remember that. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto, them, unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Albert Barnes' commentary says this about the passage. Only one of them came. This man, sensible of the power of God and grateful for his mercies, returned to express his gratitude to God for his goodness. Instead of obeying at once, the letter of the command, he first expressed thanks to God to his great benefactor. There's no evidence, however, that he did not after he had given thanks to God and poured out his joy at Jesus' feet, go to the priest as he had been directed to do. Indeed, he could not have been restored to society without doing so, but he first poured out his thanks to God and gave him praise for his wonderful recovery and so it is the first duty of sinners and all of us after that we have been forgiven and have hope of life eternal to prostrate ourselves at the feet of our great benefactor and consecrate ourselves to his service then let them go and show others the evidence that they are cleansed let them go and mingle like a restored leper with their families and friends to show by the purity and holiness of their lives how great is the mercy that has cleansed them and also this man was a samaritan this rendered his conduct even more remarkable in the sight of the jews that saw this occur the apostles and those that were around because they the jews considered samaritans especially wicked and themselves, the Jews especially, holy. This example showed them, like the parable of the good Samaritan, that they were mistaken. And one design of this miracle seems to have been to break down the opposition between the Jews and the Samaritans and to bring the former to more charitable judgments respecting the latter. The men cried out to Jesus in their distress And Jesus answered them, but this one Samaritan, we don't know if the other nine were Samaritans or Jews, but this one Samaritan came back to the Jew that had healed him and he worshiped. His posture could have been that of, well, it's about time, or why did we even get sick in the first place? However, what was internal, thankfulness, gratitude, was poured out externally on the Master and resounded in the eternal. And we still have that story in that example today. Not only that, but that last verse said, go thy way, your faith has made you whole, which is interesting because he was already healed. And then by his faith, he was made whole. And the context of that is not in the physical, but in the spiritual. And so Jesus did the miracle on the outside, but because of the man's faith on the inside, then his spirit and his soul was made whole. So he did not let what was external, his sickness, his separation from, an, in, from society, affect what was internal, his heart, his perspective, and his trajectory toward God. And I use the word trajectory intentionally because the bridge that's in here with us for for the next month, at least, has been going over trajectory in this past year. Y'all talked about it a lot. And the trajectory of an arrow, the arc of its flight path, the trajectory of an arrow shot out of a bow is the result of the power of the bow pull, the angle or altitude of the initial shot and the external forces like wind resistance and gravity that are applied to the arrow in flight yet trajectory itself is meaningless without a target there must have been some internal process within the mind to select a target before the arrow is loosed you don't just grab a bow grab an arrow and just fling the arrow and hit what needs to be hit you've got to decide i want to hit that deer and not that tree beside it you have to decide that in your mind as you are pointing the bow you you have to have a target if you're shooting targets you have to decide i want to hit this target and not that one over there there has to be an internal focusing and choice on what the target is before the arrow is loosed So the target is selected internally, and then the actions are taken externally. We also, in giving ourselves and our lives, absolutely must have a target selected internally before we can take an action externally that will result in an echo in eternity. Now that sounds good, but what does that actually mean? it means that I can't wait to fast and to pray and to pay attention to the sermons that are being preached until I'm in the middle of a situation or circumstance. In the natural, if I'm shooting an arrow, especially if it's going a long way, I can't, I I may actually do this, but leaning left or right as the arrow is in flight is not actually gonna affect the outcome of where it lands but I've done that before. Shot an arrow and like, uh, or hit a golf ball. and uh, No, no, not that way, not that way. But once it's hit, the trajectory is set. In the same way, I can't point myself towards my own desires and my own will and fall into a situation and then start trying to pray and fast to get out of it. It doesn't necessarily work that way. I can do those things, but I am behind the game at that point and trying to play catch up. I absolutely must be pointed towards him and already be fasting and praying and reading the word of God before the situation comes. That way, whenever the wind blows and the ground shakes, I am stable and solid in my faith and in my pointing towards God and nothing can shake me. But if I'm pointing towards my own will and my own desires and I'm doing just what I want to do when I want to do it, then I'm going to be shakeable, and I'm going to be movable because my feet are not planted. In, in boxing or in any martial arts, where your feet are planted and how your feet move are especially important. That's why you don't just see boxers stand in one place and hit. They constantly move around because they're trying to get their opponents footing off kilter. And if they can get their feet where they are not planted, then they have a much better chance of breaking through their defenses. And so if I am not pointed and solid towards God in what I do every day, every morning, then I'm going to be off kilter and the enemy's going to be able to push me off balance. Very easily. So the way that the wind blows and the way that the ground shakes doesn't affect me if I'm solid. Both Brother Mason and Brother Bruce have used the passage from Mark 17:21 about "This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting in their sermons in the last few weeks, and God is speaking to us. We as Pentecostals tend a lot to focus on the external. However, if a woman is dressing modestly and not cutting her hair, external things, because of what someone said or because of a checklist of do these things, that's missing the point. If a man is guarding his conversation, controlling his emotions, loving his wife, showing brotherly love even in contentious circumstances, external things because of what someone said or because of a checklist of do these things that's missing the point all of those things are good and should be done but they should be an outflow of worship to god based on what we have inside we have to set our course and set our target on the inside through fasting and prayer and reading of the word and hearing the word in order for everything else to follow and flow. And once our course is set, then the external, what comes on the outside, will flow naturally. And we'll be able to do what we need to do to please God out of a joyful and thankful heart, rather than the legalism of things I need to check off to be acceptable. And not only that, But when our course and our focus is set on God and how we live is an outflow of wanting to please Him, then whenever we see others that are not doing what we know to be pleasing to God, then we will react with love and compassion rather than anger and judgment because we're still pointing at God and not a list. Now, for all of us things will happen that can knock us off course if we allow it to no matter how solid your foundation is you have to choose and i have to choose to remain grounded when the storms come because they will come no matter how dedicated you are to god something is going to come that will rock your world it may be health trouble it may be family trouble. It may be work trouble. It may be any trouble. You fill in the blank. Things that disrupt our comfort zone can potentially knock us off course because we want to be comfortable. We want to be happy. And God doesn't promise us comfort or happiness. He promises us peace, but He doesn't promise us comfort. And many times God will even allow trouble to happen in our lives either through something we got ourselves into or the natural course of life just happening. And in those instances, God is wanting to walk through the thing with us to teach us something. And ever since God revealed this to me, I have absolutely loved and held on to the example of the second time that Peter walked on the water. He did. He walked on the water two times. We only think about one time, but he did it twice. And here's the story. Matthew chapter 14 verses 25 through 32. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit or a ghost, in our vernacular. And they cried out for fear. Because They'd never heard this of this happening before. They'd never seen a person on the water. They were freaked out. I would be too if I'm out there running yo-yos and all of a sudden here comes this figure walking across the water. Now I have this verse and I have this story, so you know I, I at least have that. They didn't have this story. They didn't know what was going on. They cried out in fear. But straightway, verse 27, Jesus spoke unto them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid, it's me, I'm here. And they were not really, are you sure? you sure that's Jesus? Because still, they didn't know he could walk on the water if he wanted to. And Peter answered and said unto him, Lord, if it's really you, bid me to come out to you on the water. Verse 29, Jesus said, come on, big boy, come on. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water number one to go to Jesus but when he saw the wind boisterous he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried Lord save me and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him "O thou of little faith wherefore didst thou doubt and when they were come into the ship the wind and the wind ceased And that last verse contains an awesome testimony. See, we don't know how far that Peter walked out from the boat before he sank. We don't know what that distance was. We do know that when he cried out, Jesus immediately stretched forth his hand and caught Peter. And the next verse after that is this. And when, meaning some time past after Jesus caught him they meaning Jesus and Peter were come into the ship the wind ceased so do you see what that means Jesus caught his hand immediately and then they walked back together to the boat in the storm the wind still blowing the waves are still crashing but they're walking on the water hand in hand back towards the boat climbing into the boat while the storm is going on and it's only when they actually get in the boat then the wind ceased and the storm stopped. The second time he walked on the water was when he was holding Jesus's hand and going back to the boat through the storm. So that tells me that in every storm that I face, when I cry out, Jesus immediately catches my hand. But I've got to choose to hold his hand while he walks me through the storm and not let go of his hand and pout that I'm still in the storm. Because if I do that, I'm gonna sink again. I must choose to hold his hand. So what is my focus and my target? Is it the waves? Or Is it Jesus? What am I choosing internally to point towards externally? Where I point my focus internally determines ultimately which eternity the arrow of my life lands in. Because my life is going to point towards and end up in one of two places and my internal compass is going to be set in one of those two places and so whenever i get up in the morning i have to point my compass whenever i open my bible to read i've got to point my compass i can't just read to mark off a checklist that i read my bible today i've got to be reading my bible saying god what are you wanting to teach me today Reveal to me whatever it is I need for this day in these scriptures Whenever I come to church I can't just come to church and hope that something that's said will trigger something in me I've got to come with an expectation God I need something from you And so I am responsible, me, whenever the sermon is going on I am responsible for paying attention because God is speaking to me through somebody whether it's Brother Bruce, or it's Brother Chris, or it's Brother Randy, or whoever is the person up here speaking, I'm responsible for turning my ear and listening. You know, and I've been up there in the booth a lot, because you know, I help on Wednesday nights, and sometimes I'm up there on Sundays, and, and I'll, just, I'll just go to Medlin. Sometimes I can look down and see people that are not paying attention. And, and my thought is, God is speaking. What are you doing? Pay, pay attention don't 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 look at the person coming in or out. Don't be scrolling on your phone. Pay attention. God is speaking to you. and if I had a whole bunch of peppermints, you know, but that probably would not work that's because that's not my responsibility that that's God's. I am not in in the the process, and, and I don't have the position of being a judge because I also get distracted. But we are responsible for focusing our attention and saying, God, what are you speaking to me through what's being said? And what is going on around me? What are you trying to teach me through the storms that I'm walking through? Because I promise you, every storm that you walk through has A lesson in it you may not understand it maybe you will you may look back one day and say oh I can see what God was teaching me through that you may look back on a situation and say God I have no idea why you made me go through that but only eternity will tell I've told the story over and over how whenever we went through what we went through with Naomi with our our little girl that that passed away You know, we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that there would be a healing. And we only had her for just a little less than an hour before she passed away. We had her for just a handful of minutes. That was not the outcome that I prayed for. But I can look back on that and see the hand of God where God was holding us through the entire process where God pulled people into our circle of influence through that process. God didn't cause it to happen, but through that, God said, now I'm going to draw you closer because I'm going to give you strength to get through this. You are going to make it. And on the other side of it, you're going to be able to tell people that have gone through something similar. I know there's hope and I know there's grace and I know there's peace. There have been other times that people have had situations and we have prayed and God has immediately answered and delivered. But then there have been times that we've prayed and it's been a process and God did eventually deliver, but it was months or years down the road. But whatever the situation and whatever the circumstance, if my focus and my pointing is towards God and not towards how I want the situation to be resolved, then I have the confidence that I'm going to walk on the water as long as I'm holding on to his hand and I will not drown and I will not be consumed. I will not be consumed. We're going to end with a time of prayer this morning. And if you would stand with me. Because with a crowd this big, I know there are people that are going through struggles. There are people that are going through things where they're asking God, why? Or maybe you've just come through something and you're still asking God, why? And this morning, what God laid on my heart for the ending of this service is for us just to spend a few minutes. And we're, we're done early. I've got about eight minutes worth of music, two songs that uh, I asked Sister Michael to to play. And so, kids are still in Sunday school so don't run off and get your kids. But the end of this service this morning, whether you want to come up around the altars, you want to pray right where you are, is a time for us to let God wrap His arms around us and hold us and let him tell us everything's going to be okay. And for us to give him, if you're going through a situation, you don't have to, to holler it out, but I want you verbally, even if it's just under your breath, I want you to tell God, this is what I'm going through and this is how it makes me feel. And I need your help because I'm not strong enough. If in this place this morning you feel your internal compass your pointing is not towards God, and your compass has veered off towards self and my desires and my will and my way. Then let this time be a time of refocusing and recentering on what is truly important because God has a purpose. And He has a job to do for every single one of us. He has been speaking to us over these past few months and weeks and He's taking us somewhere and not a single one of us is not part of what He's doing. So all of us need to make sure that our compass is pointed firmly and solidly on God. And so this morning, the rest of the service is yours. I've given you what God has put on my heart and now it's between you